Becoming a Better Dad podcast, episode number 10. Hey, welcome back to the Becoming Better Dad podcast. This is our 10th episode. I'm so pumped. Uh, this is your host, Corey. And I'm Andy. Well, Corey, I'm pumped too, but for several reasons, the one of the more reasons that I'm pumped is that we've got an awesome interview today. So let's, without further ado, let's get right to that interview. With us on the phone today is Justin Davis from refineus.org. Welcome to the, the podcast, Justin. Hey, thanks so much. It's good to be here with you guys. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? I, I know I follow you on the website, but uh, many of our listeners may not know who you are. Can you give us a little brief uh, brief history of you? Absolutely. Um, my wife and I have been married for a little over 15 years, actually 15 and a half years, and we've got three boys. Uh, my oldest is 14, my middle guy is 12, and our youngest is 8. And uh, we met in college um, 17 years ago. And my wife was in love with me from the very minute that she saw me. It just took me about six and a half months to convince her of that. <laughs> and uh, um, I asked her out about 50 times before we finally went out. And uh, we, we met at a Christian college in Illinois, Lincoln Christian College. And um, I was a junior. She was a freshman. And uh, initially, just tried to set her up with my best friend. And she didn't want to go out with him. And then after talking to her one time, I just realized, man, I really like this girl. <laughs> and uh, so basically stalked her for the next six months uh, until she finally went out with me. But uh, we, we, we uh, fell in love. Uh, we both had a heart for God. We both had a heart for ministry. And uh, I graduated from Lincoln in 1996, going to youth ministry. And so we really just set out with uh, just a small mission uh, that was just to change the world. We just we felt like God had called us to, to ministry and, and wanted to equip students and wanted to um, just really serve the local church and just threw ourselves into that. Um, about six months after we got married, my wife uh, found out that she was pregnant. And so uh, we, we, I graduated from college. We moved uh, to Ohio. And just a few, more, a few short months after that, uh, my wife gave birth, Trisha gave birth to our first son, Micah. And so we, here we are, um, knee-deep in ministry, uh, knee-deep in uh, our first year uh, of marriage, and now we have a little one. Um, that were so ill-equipped uh, to parent and to to nurture. We had no no clue what we were doing in ministry, in marriage, or in parenting, and uh, really just um, began to do the very best that we could in those early in those early years. Um, I can totally appreciate and understand that feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like you know, you you wake up one day and you don't have a kid, and the next day you do. And it's like, um, man, I'm like really responsible for this person. And, um, and so fast forward, um, you know, 10 years and, uh, we have three boys now we have, um, our, you know, our, our middle guy was born uh, with a lot of medical issues, a lot of uh, asthma, uh, allergies in and out of the hospital. Uh, and, and you know, you, you've been around youth pastors, you know, they don't mar- make very much money. And so we had a ton of, you know, ton, of, ton of medical bills, ton of stress in our relationship. Um, and, you know, we're still, you know, just serving God, you know. And, and for me personally, just I sacrificed my uh, relationship with my kids and, and with my wife for, for church. And um, didn't really realize I was doing it at the time, but just was consistently giving uh, Trisha and giving the book leftovers and not really... Um, 
putting putting God first or putting them first. I was just putting the church first. And that led to just a, a complete deterioration of my relationship with God personally and just a drifting in our marriage relationship. And um, in 2005, we had started a church uh, in 2002. In 2005, the church was going great. Uh, everything from the outside looked like it was going well. Uh, but my relationship with God uh, was not. And my relationship with Trish was completely on life support. And uh, so much so, I ended up having an affair with her best friend, uh, who was also the children's director at our church. And um, initially, uh, just had no desire to, to make the marriage work, had no desire to um, reconcile at all. I was done with my marriage. I was done with God. I was done with the church. Um, and, uh, man, we were separated for two and a half months and it was the worst two and a half months of my life. But at the same time, it was the best two and a half months of my life in that, um, you know, I was separated from my wife. I was separated from the boys, which was extremely difficult, but God really did a breaking, uh, in my heart, a breaking in my spirit and a, just, uh, a, a complete, um, an utter just stripping of everything that I had found my identity in. Um, I'm no longer a pastor. Um, I'm no longer really a husband. And the father that I set out to be, uh, I had completely failed at being. And so um, here I am, you know, 29, 30 years old. Um, I live four and a half miles from my, my boys. And I faced the prospect of being, you know, an every other weekend uh, father. And that just was not my vision for my marriage. It wasn't my vision for uh, how I wanted to raise my kids. And um, early on, when we sat the boys down and told them that we were separated and that we were going to be, you know, trying to work on our marriage, um, Micah was nine and I, Elijah was six. Isaiah was only two. So he didn't really understand what was going on, but the two older ones did. And I just remember you know, telling Micah, you know, that Trish and I are separated, you know, mom and I are separated. Um, we're not going to be living together for a while. Um, we, we might get divorced and daddy's not going to be the pastor of Genesis anymore. That was the church that we started. And Micah just went ballistic and he just kept screaming at me. You have to be the pastor. You have to be the pastor. I, I'm the pastor's son. And it was, it was apparent to me at that point that he had wrapped his entire identity around the church, just like we had. And he was more upset about me not being a pastor anymore than Trish and I potentially divorcing. And, you know, that could be interpreted either way. You know, maybe he didn't have the concept of what divorce really was. Um, and he understood what being a pastor meant more, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know that that's the case. I really feel like, um, his, his identity was as warped as ours. And so God just really began, um, as Trish and I went to counseling and as we began to really uncover and, and get to the root of some deep, deep uh, brokenness in my own life personally, uh, in her life personally, and then in our marriage, uh, we began really a, a reconstruction process uh, from the ground up in, in, our, in our marriage, but also in our relationship with the boys, and, and everything changed uh, in, in, that, in the next two and a half months. Um, as, as a father and as a husband, um, God just radically uh, repainted the vision that I had to be uh, a husband and a, and a father 
and a lot of things just really began to transform in how I related to Trisha, but also in how I related to the boy. How has your role as a dad changed since you've, you're obviously back together with, with Trish. How, how has your role as a dad changed? Are there, are there things that you're specifically doing to, to change? Like you, you know, you or make, you know, like Micah, you said was wrapping his identity in you as a pastor. How, how has that changed now? Um, since, since the, the separation? Well, I think, um, yeah, Trish and I, Trish and I uh, were separated for two and a half months and I moved back home, um, right after Thanksgiving of 2005. And, um, we really made some significant changes in how we parent specifically for me. Um, since that time, Andy, um, I've come to realize that my own father, um, struggled with sexual addictions. Um, it just came out about two years ago. So here I am, you know, a 35 year old dad and my parents get divorced because of my own father's sexual addictions that have been hidden for 35 years. And, um, we had already made the decision, uh, when we, when we were separated to tell the boys, uh, to tell the older two boys just about, about my pornography addiction. And that was something that I had struggled with, uh, since I was 18 and, um, never told anyone about and thought that I could bring that into my marriage and it wouldn't affect my relationship. And so, uh, not even knowing at that time that my dad struggled in the same area, we just made the decision that we, we don't want our boys to be held captive by this. Sure. And so in, in what was appropriate at that time for a nine-year-old, we just started talking about the, the TV shows that we watch and we started talking about the movies that we go to. And we started talking about how, um, you know, we're to respect women. And, uh, and then uh, over the next couple of years, you know, as Micah went into middle school, uh, fifth and sixth grade, um, I, t- I took, took him through the book, uh, Preparing Your Son for Every Man's Battle. And that was something that was very uncomfortable, um, but not for him. You know, it was just uncomfortable for me because um, an 11-year-old or 12-year-old kid doesn't know what it means to feel ashamed of their sexuality. Sure. Um, and so just trying to get over myself and get over my own brokenness and, and really be intentional about talking about lust and pornography and sexual temptation and, and how, to set up, how to set up in your own heart and mind um, boundaries, but also, um, you know, how to set up um, hedges of protection so that you don't, um, you know, it's okay to be tempted. I mean, Jesus was tempted, but how, how can you um, be strong enough to overcome that temptation so that you don't, you don't find yourself captive to it? Right. And, um, and so that, that's been a huge transition in that specific area. And then another, another way that I think my, my parenting or my role as a father has changed is I just, I realize that I'm never going to drift into, um, investing in my kids. Like I, I'm going to drift to sports center. I'm going to drift to watching a football game. I'm going to drift to, um, you know, surfing the internet or returning emails. Those are the things I'm going to drift to. I'm not going to drift to investing in my kids, which is a really sad um, statement. I, I, I'm going to have to be intentional about that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, we just set aside, like I set aside every Friday morning. I take one of the boys to breakfast every Friday. Um, Elijah now, my middle guy and I have gone through every man's battle together. Mike and I are reading a book together right now called Dateable. Um, just talking about dating. You know, he's going to be a freshman next year. Um and, I, and the reality is I have no idea 
the struggle and the battle that they face every single day in middle school and what my oldest son's going to face in high school. I'm so far removed from that world. Um, I just, I just have no clue how hard it is to be a Christian, how hard it is to be a Christian man, young man in those environments. And so just taking that time to intentionally spend with them and, you know, it's not, you know, it's not three hours, it's 45 minutes every Friday, but the conversations that we have and the honesty that we have and the way that we're able to just talk about some really deep things, things that my dad and I never talked about, um, it has, has, has really been huge. And, um, and then I think the final thing that just comes to mind is just the spiritual aspect. I was so busy pastoring other people and really pastoring other people's kids um, I wasn't a pastor in my house. And um, this whole thing has just kind of woke me up that even if I never went back into vocational ministry, even if God never used me um, in the church or in any ministry role ever again, I was first and foremost called to, to be a pastor of my home and to pastor my kids mm-hmm. and to care for them spiritually. And so that's been a, a huge thing. You know, we, you know, our prayer life has drastically changed. Um, the way that we, you know, we read scripture, we talk about scripture. My, my two oldest boys and I are going on a mission trip to Africa, um, this summer together. So, um, just really trying to recognize the spiritual aspect of our family, the spiritual, um, responsibility that I have as a dad. Um, and, and to know that the investment that I make in that area is going to far outweigh any basketball camp I send them to or any, you know, Xbox 360 game I buy them that uh, I'm called to the legacy that I'm going to leave with them is how, how intentional was I in spending time with them and how intentional was I in passing on the the love and the knowledge of God in their life. And, um, it's, 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 it's hard, you know, I mean, we're out four nights a week with basketball right now with my two oldest boys. Um, it's not an easy thing and I'm not perfect at it. And I, I dropped the ball and I still fail at times, but, um, I think I have a, a, def, a new definition of success um, in, in as far as what that looks like and, and, and how failing so miserably in the past has kind of allowed me to see that um, it doesn't take a lot of effort or a lot of um, time to just be intentional and to pour into your kids. And, um, and so that's, that's, I think those are some, those are three of the ways that I think is, is my, my parenting and, and my view of fatherhood has drastically changed. Yeah. Justin, this is Corey. Um, and hey, Corey. I have two younger boys and I've already started thinking, you know, how am I going to bring up the whole topic of pornography and how am I going to bring up the whole I- idea of sexual purity with them as they get older? What, you know, suggestions or um, practical ideas do you have um, that some of our listeners could um, use and put in place? Well, I think that um, the good thing, because of the American educational system, is they're going to bring it up for you. It, whether it be um, whether it be in class, like you know, as far as a sex education course, or um, whether it be you know, kids talking about it. And, and a lot of times, um, you know, kids are talking about terms and things that they don't even know what they mean. They're just hearing it from other people. And so one of the things that was kind of our barometer in that, um, in that whole area was just 
sex education class started for, for us in, when we lived in Indiana in fifth grade. And so, you know, we had to sign a permission slip that said, you know, on this date, your son or daughter is going to be watching this movie. And you, you give us permission here. You can come and view the movie um, two days before we show it. And so we did that, which was disturbing. Um, and, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, it took me back to fifth grade. I was like, oh man, I, I didn't like this in fifth grade. I really don't like it. <laughs> um, but, but what it did was it, it was kind of like, that was the kind of the start, like the starting line was provided for me, if that makes any sense. Okay. So that I knew that this topic was going to be introduced into my kid's life in some respects, whether I liked it or not. And so, um, before that happened, I mean, uh, we had, we had some friends that had gone through the, the video and stuff before, like the year before and stuff. So I was reading, you know, um, some books I was, I was kind of preparing myself and, and so when my son saw the movie, um, you know, it just opened up a lot of conversations cause I'd already seen it and I was able to say, Hey, um, you know, you want to go out to Burger King tomorrow morning for breakfast and we can just talk about that movie. And at that point it was such a clinical, um, thought and idea. It was more clinical than it was sexual. And so he was just really confused mm-hmm. and really, you know, didn't really know what, the, the sexual desires that he has at 14, he did not have at 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. And so it was, it, it was almost like he was, uh, you know, learning information that he had not experienced yet. And so it was a really good time just to set the baseline where, um, we can have that type of conversation and he didn't have the awkwardness of struggling with the emotions and the, and the physiological changes in his own body yet. It was almost like talking about something that happened to someone else or that happened to me. And so that was, that was good. Another thing that I think that, um, is really good. And I forget who told me this, or maybe it was, I read it in a book, but just telling stories. Like even today, um, my middle son, Elijah, he had a bad, had a bad basketball game and he didn't play very much. And he was kind of tearing up on the way home. And how I kind of deal with that situation is I just say, man, I know exactly how you feel when I was in fifth grade. Um, you know, I, I got, I didn't even make the basketball team. And just telling a story about a time that, you know, that you're relating it back to your life. Because what what I don't want my kids to think is that I, there's no way I can relate to them, that I don't know how they feel. I've never experienced what they're experiencing, and I'm out of touch. And so I'm always constantly, um, in, in parenting in general, but especially in this area, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing stories of, you know, hey, I know you want to go see this movie, but let me tell you about a movie that I saw that I can still remember images of today. And it's 24 years later and not to scare them, but to say, Hey, I- I've been there. I- I've walked this path. And, and another thing that I've done recently, especially with um, my oldest son is he has a, a get out of jail free card with me. Um, any, any time, any place. Like he, if like last night he stayed all night with a friend and I, and I just say to him every time he says that with a friend, hey, if anything goes on this computer screen or anything goes on the TV that you're uncomfortable with, text me, call me, and I'll come get you. And no judgment, no no punishment. Like just trying to give him an out that I'm not going to come down hard on him if he finds himself in a situation that he he feels uncomfortable because mm-hmm. he you know I trust him, and so 
just having that relationship that's built on trust that he knows that um, he can call me at any time and I'll come pick him up and I won't ask questions right then. We'll talk about it later, but, um, and it's happened a couple of times where he's just said, Hey, um, I need you to come pick me up. And there was, you know, a, a movie they got put in that he just didn't feel comfortable watching and he was willing to do that. And, and so that, those, those type of things are, are huge. Um, just in making it, um, everyday conversation and making it to where, there is nothing that they have to be ashamed of. Like, you know, your kids, you know, when you, when your kids get older, they're not going, they're not going to feel uncomfortable about sex mm-hmm. or talking about sex. They're not going to feel uncomfortable about movies. You know, they're not going to know what they're watching initially. If they're watching a movie that's inappropriate, it, it's as, it's as you define that for them and they look to you, hopefully you're, you're, you have an opportunity to have them look to you as an authority on that issue rather than um, the judge and jury on that issue. Yeah. And that's a huge difference. Well, and I suppose as a dad, that makes you feel real good if, that your son did call you and said, hey, come pick me up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge win. And, um, you know, he's he's stood up for a couple, like, couple movies that... Um, that were put in and, and he's, you know, said, you know, in retrospect, Hey, I don't think we should watch that. Or, um, you know, I don't feel comfortable watching that or let's, let's watch, you know, let's watch sports center or something like that. And so, um, I know that he's not going to get it right all the time. And so for me to, to me, for me to think that, um, he's going to be perfect, I think is, is setting myself up for failure and setting him up for failure. Cause I, I need to give him the freedom to, you know, mess up and fail because you learn from failure. But at the same time, he knows that I'm an ally of his. I'm not an enemy in this area. Like we're in this together and I fight the same battle that he's fighting. And I've gone, you know, hopefully I'm going, I'm going before him in prayer. I'm going before him in the way that I'm living my life and, um, modeling for him what it means to stand up for purity. And, uh, it's difficult, but I think, you know, together as dads, we can help our kids, get there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Hey, then how, how have you guys dealt with it? You know, as your kids get older, how, how open are you guys about the times that you went through with your separation? And, um, you know, you said you're pretty open with your struggles with your boys. How, how, how do you guys talk about that? Yeah. I mean, we, we speak several times a year at different places and like I'm speaking next, next Sunday at a church in Atlanta. And, um, you know, we're sharing our story and our boys will be there, you know, so they, my, my youngest son, he, he doesn't understand still, I mean, he's only eight. So, and he, he doesn't remember us being separated. He doesn't remember, um, you know, any of the heartache or anything like that. Um, he has no, no memory of that. So all he knows is the marriage that we have now. Um, but my two older boys, they know our story. And in fact, the newspaper here in Nashville, um, wrote a story about us and it started out the f- opening line was um, Justin and Trisha Davis almost lost each other five years ago when he had an affair. And uh, so it starts out with, you know, there's not pulling any punches. And my oldest son asked if he could take the article to school to show some of his teachers. And, um, and so, you know, he, he's very well aware. And then he came home and he's like three of my teachers cried when they read that article. He's like one of them is going through a divorce right now and, and may, 
reach out to you guys. And so I think they feel a part of it. I think they feel a part not only of the bigger story, but also of the redemption aspect of it. You know, I think that they see how the two older ones, especially see how different we are now and the life that we have now compared to then. And I think that they, they both feel like, you know, our family is a miracle and, um, I wouldn't say they take pride in that, but I think that they are very aware of the power of God in, in our in our family and in our story. And so we we've only shared it, you know, in um, appropriate measures up until you know thirteen, fourteen years old. You know, they're they know pretty much the whole story, and so um, they don't know you know details or anything like that. But they know, you know, dad messed up; he had an affair. Um, they know who it was with, they know, they know all those things at the same time, that is, that that's history and who we are now is a testimony to what Christ can do. And, and so I think that that's what we try to focus on is not necessarily the affair gets the headlines, but it was the underlying dysfunction in our marriage that caused that relationship to happen and, and the underlying dysfunction in my own relationship with God. And so, um, we just try to to keep that as the main thing, so that they know that, yeah, everyone makes mistakes. There are greater consequences for certain mistakes, but God can heal anything and God can redeem anything. And, and I think that that's the bigger story that they that they feel a part of. Yeah. Um, and then one more question: How? What are some of the guidelines you used or strategies you've used to set apart time to separate work and family to? Um, to set your priorities straight, what are some of those strategies? Yeah, I mean, for the mo- for the most part, we try to, um, and we don't always hit this, especially given different busy seasons. But we try to have meals together now. Like I'm, you know, three or four nights a week, uh, we try to sit down around the table and have meals together. So that's that's something that that has completely changed. We don't eat in front of TV uh, hardly at all. Um, so that that's something. Um, I take a day off like on Friday before I would go, Oh, I got to run by the church and do this, this and this. I'll be right back. Or, Hey, do you guys want to go with me to the church real quick? And so I justified that, Hey, I'm spending time with the kids, but they're just, you know, there's tagging along with me, tagging along with me to the church. And so I, I take a day off. Um, I, I don't, uh, I very rarely answer my cell phone, uh, in the evenings, as far for work, I mean, if I if you know if a buddy's calling me or whatever, that's different. But I'm not, and uh, I'm not tracked on. Oh my gosh, I, the the church is going to rise and fall, or my job is going to rise and fall today. If I don't get this done today, then it's going to be the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And I, what really helped me with that is um, when I left ministry, I went into a sales job and it was commission only. And um, so if I didn't if I didn't close a deal, I didn't get paid. And I was able to separate um, work and family in that job when I only got paid by working. Where in you know right now I'm on a salary, and so I'm getting paid right now, and I'm not even working. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I'm going to get paid next Friday if I don't go into work on Monday. But before you know, after I got out of ministry, I had to work to get paid. And I, so I felt like God just kind of did something in my heart that, hey, if I can take care of you when you are relying on your job to for your income, I can take care of you if you'll just, you know, separate yourself from your work. I can take care of the church without you. 
And, um, and that's been just a huge thing for me just to, to lay down that control. Cause that's what it really was. It was a control thing. I felt like if, you know, I was more in control of my career and I was more control in control of my ministry than God was. And, um, and so I had to work all the time to make sure I could control everything. And so now it's just more of a, you know, I trust God with, with my job. I trust him with my ministry and, and if something doesn't get done, it's not the end of the world, but you know, me, my kids are going to remember how I was with them, um, in the evenings and how I was with them on the weekends. They're not going to remember, oh man, dad just really, you know, did a great sermon because he never, you know, he didn't yeah. speak, speak to us all week or whatever. So just trying to keep that in perspective has been a real good thing. Well, we want to thank you for coming out and hanging out with us and uh, giving your perspective on that. It's been a it's been a blast, and thanks for for be w- being willing to share uh, with pretty much the you know the world about what you guys went through. Oh man, it's it's my pleasure, and if I can, you know, be a resource for any any dad out there. I know we all struggle, and we all, um, you know, none of us are perfect. We need we need one another. I, I appreciate you guys doing this podcast to really encourage dads and. And hopefully something that I said today is uh, an encouragement and uplift some, some dad that maybe feels like a failure. Just know that everybody has bad days, but God can redeem anything. Sure. And one, one last time, where can people find you at? Uh, RefineUs.org. All right. Thanks for being on the show today, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Hey, thanks a lot, Andy. All right. All right. And if you guys have any questions, comments uh, on this episode or any of our past episodes, you can go ahead and shoot us an email. And that email address is feedback at betterdadpodcast.com. And uh, we also have a voicemail line, and the number for that is 575-201-DADS. That's 575-201-3237. All right, you guys, go out there and be better dads, and we will see you again in a couple weeks.